There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. We're down here at Dubai Sports City. We're down here at Kickers, broadcasting between the hours of three and six into the final hour of the show. Um, plenty to keep us entertained. They're knocking up on centre court at the moment. Serena Williams against Simona Halep about to get underway momentarily. They're out on track down at Silverstone. Yeah, Tom, and what I, what I can tell you is they're in Q1. There's just over 12 and a half minutes left, and uh, the big boys are not out yet. But as those results come in, I will keep you updated. It's Perez that is making a run for it now, of course, from the Racing Point team. Lewis, Charles Leclerc and the boys haven't posted the time yet. They're only going out on track as we speak. Uh, it is stage eight of the Tour de France at the moment. Macon to Saint-Étienne with Italy's Giulio Ciccioni uh, beginning stage eight with the race leader's yellow jersey. Geraint Thomas, the defending champion, is back in fifth position at the moment. News from down under Mark Archer. Yeah, big news from Perth. I can tell you that uh, Manchester United have gone all the way to Western Australia and defeated the mighty Perth glory 2-0. Marcus, yeah. Marcus Rashford uh, opened the scoring for Manchester United. I'm just trying to see who scored their second James goal. James Garner. James Garner? Yeah, it's got, uh, James Garner, I believe. James Garner, apparently, with the second goal. But, yeah, win for United. They've started their pre-season tour. I think their next match, I can tell you, is against Leeds United, also in Perth. So they do. the glory days are back for Man U. <laughs> Let's just sit with the football if we can for a moment because intriguing week of uh, gossip and rumours doing the rounds. Uh, what's this about Lukaku? Romelu Lukaku has been overvalued, but on his way to Inter, Any, anything in that? Well, he's been pictured a few weeks ago wearing kind of Inter Milan colours and I think that there hadn't been an official offer till early in the week. Manchester United don't have a great relationship with Inter Milan. They tried to sign um, Perisic, the, the Croatian winger, two seasons ago and they found it extremely difficult uh, to do business with Inter Milan to get their player. That, and they were talking about overvalue and payer payments. Inter Milan apparently want to sign Romelu Lukaku, who's been valued around 75 million pounds, similar to what they actually paid for him a couple of seasons ago. The problem is Inter Milan want to pay in installments, almost like buying a, a, a used car, and they want to pay nine million to start off the payment. I think United said, look, he's worth, 95, he's worth 75 million if you want him come up with a big chunk of change or we'll hang on to him so I think the player wants to move I think I think United I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to see move him on he wasn't one of his starting players under the under the Solskjaer regime but I don't know if they're going to get business done or, or, or not so let's wait and see I guess watch the space in terms of uh, Romelu Lukaku well he wasn't actually in Australia he's not there so you probably think there's a good chance of that happening but the big question for United is what do they do with Paul Pogba I mean should he be kept should he be sold to me I mean as a I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan I, I confess that very but, nice having you on the show mate <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is with you know with Manchester United it's all about Pogba that's the problem it's such a distraction the, to the club the problem with with Pogba is even if they even if they want him to go there's no club that's willing to pay the transfer fee Juventus have been very interested apparently talks have now gone quiet between Juve and Man United and of course Pogba <laughs> is down in Australia now so the big thing is the club that wants Pogba which more than likely looks like Juventus at the moment needs to come up with the transfer money because that's the only way United are going to let him go so it'll be interesting to see who does come up with that transfer money and and if he will eventually end up going to Juve it's, it's pretty simple with Paul Pogba United the club are in the driving seat he's got two years plus plus the club's option for a three years so he's basically got three years left on his contract 
They value him at somewhere between 130 to 150 million pounds, which, given the market, that's what he's worth on the market. He's a World Cup winner. If you see Aaron Wan Bissaka's gone for 50 million, who's an uncapped under 21 player, Pogba's value is 120, 130, 140 million pounds. If a club wants him, whether it be Real Madrid, I don't think Barcelona will be in because obviously so it's Real Madrid or Juventus. If they've got the cash, then they need to do it. Obviously, Pogba's agent has been causing all sorts of havoc, like he does every off-season, touting the player. Um, if he's going to go, I, you know, as a United fan, get, get rid of him if, if they can get the money in because you can buy probably two pretty good players for that money, maybe three. So that's that's the way they have to go if, if, if they see if they have to move them on. But it's, such, it's just such a difficult position because at the moment, Pogba, if he does well, the team does well. If he does badly, the team does badly. It's it's so much is weighted on this one player. And as a Liverpool fan, if you look at Liverpool now, a very good result for Liverpool in their first trial match. They beat, OK, Tranmere Rovers 6-0. But none of their stars, a lot of young players coming through, and they've just got a really good, at the moment, culture in the club. And you look at Manchester United, such a great club, such, you know, one of the greatest clubs in the, in, in the world, to see them at such a low ebb and that culture gone because it's all been based around Paul Pogba and he's just mercurial, one week up, one week down. And if he does badly, the club does badly. Yeah, the other a the dangerous situation. The, the other major issue with Pogba is that the English Premier League transfer window shuts in about three weeks' time. It doesn't shut in, uh, in, in, in Italy or in Spain for, I think, another week in Italy and then two weeks on in Spain. If they, if they, if they can't find a replacement for him... They almost need to sign a replacement knowing that they're going to get the Pogba deal done because if he, he could go after the English transfer window closes because and then the, then the failure to bring in a player would be massive for Manchester United if they can't spend that, that, that proceeds. So that's a dilemma. They'll want to get something done sooner rather than later. Otherwise, he's going to be, he's going to be at United for another season. Let me just ask two Man Manchester United fans a question. Um, is, would you rather Paul Pogba walk out of the club for nothing, for zero, than take him into next season? No, no, because he's a $150 million asset and ultimately United are a business. So to, 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 to run a P&L, to run the business, you need to, you need to get the money for Pogba. So he, if, if, if he hasn't been sold, then he plays and he, he should be professional like any sportsman and give 100% and that's what the club ask, will ask of him and give the, self, the club, he owes it to the club. They brought him from, a, from being a 15-year-old from France and then he left on a free, pretty much on a free, and then they had to buy him back for £90 million. So... I, I think he owes the club. He owes the he owes the club. He owes the fans some performances, some consistency, and to justify his value, he still owe, he's in he's in deficit now. I just I just think that the problem with Paul Pogba is to me he's never really fitted in well at Man United. Ever since he's, he's arrived at this multi-million dollar play, yes, commercially he's really making a lot of money for the clubs, jersey sales, etc., etc. But it's on the field performances that that you get judged by, and he didn't fit into the pattern of Mourinho. I don't think he's really going to fit in, into the pattern of, of, of Ole Gunnar. To me, he was a much more valuable player when he was playing with, with Juventus. He's more of a, of a attacking player. He doesn't really like to defend. Premier League, you know, asks. For, for that midfield player to be able to play the defensive role and I just don't think he's ever really settled into in, into Manchester you know living there and, and so forth and to, to Archer's point you can only get rid of him if a club's willing, willing to pay you the money otherwise you've got, to be, you've got to put up with this guy but to me he hasn't really set the Premier League alight like the likes of, of the Agueros or the Hazards and, and these are the type of players you've got to compare him to because that's what they value him at and I think until he you know he really does that I, 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 I think he's a bit of a misfit for Man United so it's your thoughts, one club that uh, certainly doesn't have any problem with the bank balances at the moment seem to be Barcelona, yet more eye-watering sums mentioned in the week. So they've taken Antoine Griezmann from their La Liga rivals, Letico Madrid. Um, 
we reckon that the deal, or we understand that the five-year deal is worth £717 million. Pounds. Whoa. It's unbelievable. Over five years, because the main thing is, the, is this, uh, this, this release clause, the 120 million euro release clause that had to be paid to the La Liga rivals in order for him to come over. Then obviously, let's start the conversation about wages thereafter. And it's, important, I th- isn't it? it's important for Barcelona. They need him, though, because Luis Suarez, as we saw, um, as great he was for Liverpool and as great he was from Barcelona, probably now has only got a year or two left in him now. And he looked a little bit slow in those final stages of the Champions League. So I think they'll be looking Griezmann and together with Lionel Messi. That is a scary, scary duo. It's going to be fascinating. That's what I was about to well, say. Well, I don't know. Do Barcelona really, really want Neymar back? I think Neymar is very similar to Paul Pogba. He's a, very, he's a player who can... He, everybody goes with him or against him. You know, they can be very cathartic. They can destroy a team. And I don't think... If Barcelona is smart, I don't think they bring Neymar back in, to tell you the truth. I don't think he's going to add much to them at this point in time. I think he's a really polarising figure. But Griezmann, I think he's a great player. He'll work beautifully with Messi. And even Suarez, Messi and uh, Griezmann together. That's pretty, pretty good front three. What they're talking about Neymar now, just, just reading between the lines, is that obviously he's, he's going to command a massive transfer. If he was valued at 200 million euros two seasons ago they're saying there might be a swap deal on the cards with PSG so that uh, Barcelona would have to give up the likes of Coutinho Rakitic and Samuel Umtiti to come in in exchange for Neymar basically a player swap like they do in NBA basketball where you get you get player trades of equivalent values because they, you've got to think with these money that Barcelona is spending, how, how the financial fair plays fitting into their balancing their books. Albeit they are a massive club and they bring in massive resources in, their, in the new camp, which has you know massive, big capacity. But the only way they can do it is actually exchange players. Well, listen, Barcelona fans may disagree with me, and it'll be interesting to hear what they think, but I think that they'd be very happy to lose Coutinho. He's not been a popular figure at Barcelona at all. Of course, he was much loved at Liverpool, then, of course, much loathed at Liverpool when he went to Barca, and he hasn't really fitted in there. He gets booed when he comes onto the field. He's not very well liked. Rakitic is probably, great player as he is, a little bit past his best, we'd have to say that. So Umtiti maybe is, is a loss for them, but I think most, I don't know, you'd have to ask Barca fans, but I can't see that they'd be desperate to get Neymar back either because I don't think he's performing at his best he's injured a lot you've got to remember these players too who get injured all the time like Pogba also deals with injury it's not a very good investment because these players don't turn up and then you look at you know on Liverpool again you look at James Milner James Miller, unbelievable player. He's getting into his mid-30s. You think he's coming to the edge of his career, but he's got a Federer-like edge to him. And when they were doing the fitness trials this year to start off the season for Liverpool, James Milner absolutely killed them. Killed Joe Gamers, killed everybody else. The fittest guy coming back into Liverpool for the trainings was James Milner. So they're probably going to give him another two-year contract to keep going now. It's it's just, you know, it's incredible. And this is you want. You want the attitude. You want the great attitude. And you look at Man City. A club with so many stars, but they don't act like stars. You know, big, big transfer. I'm going to ask you this one on Tom. West Ham have had some uh, interesting week in terms of the transfer market, losing one big name player apparently, not and not a lot of love lost between both oh, parties they, there. But rumours in the market, Diego Costa, they're in for, who's, yes. who's not really gone back to um, Spain and, and fitted in at Madrid at Atletico Madrid. They're talking about a return to the Premier League for Diego Costa. Would he fit into the old West Ham way of way of football? 
West Ham way, Diego would take him, that's for sure, would bite your hand off. Absolutely. I'd, I'd, I'd let the club fit around him because I tell you what, Diego Costa, if you can mentally get him on track, that, that guy, honestly, he's unbelievable. I mean, we saw what he did for his first season at Chelsea when they won the league that year. So I think if West Ham can get him, he'd be a great, great signing for you there's guys. Been, there's been a good link between uh, our new um, director of football down there as, uh, and head scouts are all Spanish, all coming over from La Liga. So there's a big feeder from, the, from La Liga coming over to... To, to, to West Ham at the moment. So certainly potential there for sure. On, on the Arnie thing, I mean, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. I think it was all summed up, wasn't it, by the, the official club social media midweek or something. You know when a player leaves and they always make the announcement, thanks for the time, 24 goals over three seasons and all the best in your new ventures. <laughs> they just put out, uh, uh, they put out one line uh, on, on Twitter and, 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 and Instagram saying, Marco Anatovic has left. <laughs> I think it's uh, that situation's been really badly mismanaged because he's a good player. Brilliant. You know? I think if he's if he's well managed, he's and that's the, the whole skill of man management. But West Ham's really interesting because they're spending a lot of money. They really want that club to get back up to the top, and they're making a big, big investment. It'll be interesting to see if it comes off for them this year. No, it's going to be an interesting season. Yeah, I think uh, more more transfers to come in over the next few days. Uh, looking to hold on to, if they can hold on to the, you know, your Felipe Andersons and 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 the people that were pulling the strings last year. I, I, I take the point about Arnautovic. When Arnautovic was on song, when he was scoring goals for, he was brilliant. But he's he's, he's, he's sort of Pogba-esque in many ways. That I don't know if it's him, but certainly the people around him are vile. And by emanating the rumours and the big 70 million move to to China, and then of course the discord in the changing room, and didn't want to play for certain managers, and then there was all the problems. It goes back to that old um, adage, doesn't it, of one player not being bigger than the club? Yeah, yeah. And he was he was that sort of problem. And if you look at it, that's the success of Manchester City. That's the success currently of Liverpool. The fact that the culture, the culture of the club is so strong. You look at also a team like Wolves. Really, Wolves, you look at the players they have on paper, they should not be doing as well as they are. But the culture of the club is strong. So getting that right spirit, everybody working together, no stars mentality, it's really tricky. But listen, it's exciting times at West Ham. I still think West Ham's biggest problem is that ground. I mean, yeah. it's a t- you, if you've been there to watch I West have, Ham, yeah, yeah. there's zero atmosphere there. I was there watching matches at the Rugby World Cup in 2015. It's just this enormous barn where there's no atmosphere and no one can get behind West Ham. Yeah, there's been a problem. I mean, we sort of got over it. At the beginning, it was a proper teething problem. Problems, but they've brought more seating in this time as well. So they're trying to bring the action closer to the pitch. Um, and it's, it's funny what a couple of results do for you. You know, at the beginning of the season when we were losing left, right and centre um, and the fans were, oh, it's all the curse of the London Stadium and things like that. Finished ninth at the end of the season. Oh, we absolutely love the London Stadium. It's, a, it's the future. I mean, take nothing away from it. It is an extraordinary facility as well. And in terms of access to the game, in terms of uh, food and beverage uh, before, at halftime, elsewhere, in terms of just being able to navigate when it is so much better than what went before than the, the original bowling ground okay a lot of people have that sort of romantic uh, memories of the bowling but it, it was a nightmare to get to it was a nightmare to get out of and therefore to have the london stadium is a blessing um let's just hope that the results back it up as well but the whole big, i just said big big football news during the week the retirement of the one the only the great peter crouch yeah a, a Premier League lo- stalwart, a legend. Scored more headed goals in the Premier League than any other player in history. More Premier League assists than Cristiano Ronaldo or Paul Scholes. More Premier League goals than Fernando Torres or Dennis Bergkamp. 
He uh, obviously Crouchy also wanted to play on. <laughs> he wanted to play on, but obviously not picked up with a contract. But listen, he was a player who, whichever club he went to, they still loved him. You know, even he left Liverpool, went somewhere else. He was always loved. He was never booed. You never heard Peter Crouch booed when he came on by the old team. So just somebody really everybody loved. And he said he was he was living the dream. He, he, he was a guy that you looked at and he looked at. He was appreciating every day he had as a professional footballer. So retiring at uh, age ripe old age I think of thirty eight. I think he'll be all right though. You know, there's not many footballers out there uh, that can get, uh, what was it, 10,000 into uh, the O2 Arena last week for Crouch Fest. That's right, yeah, <laughs> off, off the back of the podcast. Crouch Fest, they booked out the O2 Arena, 10,000 tickets sold, uh, and Liam Gallagher uh, opening up proceedings for them as well. So I think you'll be all right. Yeah, Abby Clancy on Strictly Come Dancing, he'll be all right. <laughs> he'll be just fine. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to send your thoughts, please do that now, 4001, when we come back, more sport. This is The Grill, live from Kickers Sports Bar, where the game is always on. Get your thoughts in. Tour. You can text us now, 4001. Better still, come on down here to Dubai Sports City. Come and join us in Kickers, your home for sport during the, uh, throughout the entirety of the year. 16 screens down here, including two big screens that are currently showing the Formula One qualifiers. Uh, and CBR's keeping close tabs on it. Yeah, uh, Tom, what I can tell you, it's the home favourite Lewis Hamilton, which is currently uh, at the, the top of the qualifying it's Hamilton from Mercedes. He's followed by Charles Leclerc from Ferrari. Max Verstappen in the Red Bull is in third. Vettel Bertas of Mercedes in fourth. Then Sebastian Vettel's Ferrari. Uh, Lloyd Norris of McLaren in sixth position. Carlos Sainz from McLaren in seventh. So very good outing for McLaren as they go into the final qualifying. And then, of course, Red Bull's Gasly in ninth and Sebastian Grosjean of Haas in a tenth position. What about Wimbledon? A uh, bit of an upset uh, on the cards at the moment. Samantha Halep leading by four games to love against Serena Williams in the opening set. I mean, say a bit of an upset on the cards there. One thing we've got, come to expect from Serena Williams is she doesn't start the games that quickly, and we've seen it in previous rounds at Wimbledon, but suddenly uh, her dominance comes in in those later, latter stages. That's not looking good, though. 4-0 down. I mean, it's a big, you know, Simone Halep should be running on a, a lot of energy, a lot of adrenaline, and if you get one one set up and then maybe a couple of games in the next one, it's going to be tough to get her back. That's what we said from the start. We said that if, if Simona wants to have any impact on this final, she has to rattle Serena from the start. And Tom, as you say, breaking her, breaking her serve first up is, is the right thing for Simona. So, you know, Simona has to kick on now. She has to kill off in the first set. And then, as you say, really try and break her early in the second set. But, you know, Serena, as you say, she's a 23-time Grand Slam winner, you know, I don't think this will put her off too much. We know how strong she's going to be, but as I say, Simona will have to put the pressure on if she really wants to look, uh, see, this one through, see this one through. There's a lot of pressure on Serena, though, isn't it? Because she's been desperate to get this 24. She has been absolutely desperate to get this number 24, and it's like they freeze up. And tennis is such a big game because you've got to be playing the big points all the time. You've got to go for the big stroke, don't you? Even if it's like 40 or with everything you know it's juice with everything on the line you still got to go for the big shot and that takes a lot of guts absolutely and i think as you say she's been trying to get this monkey off her back for a long long time so yeah as i said serena's a real fighter very very great a very very good match uh, to watch this and as i said well done to halep for getting off to a great start we'll keep an eye on that one for you uh, we're also looking ahead to tomorrow's uh, final uh, in the cricket world cup uh, mark archer against tom urquhart basically down there at lords but 
looks like neither of us are going to be at Lords uh, tomorrow. You're certainly not. No, I'm going to be in Saudi Arabia. I'll be outside. I'll be in Saudi Arabia, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, on a, I'm on a plane tomorrow <laughs> afternoon, so hopefully the uh, the coverage is strong in that part of the uh, the Middle East, and you'll be somewhere in London hoping to I've just come across a, a ticket. I've just had a text from Toby Gregory, actually. said. Uh, I told him to ask you. Oh, right, okay. So he's asking, but he said if, if we can't get tickets, we're gonna, we'll watch it at a hostel, hostelry outside, uh, outside Lords. Sounds good. Or you could join where Nick Compton was in uh, Trafalgar Square. It might be a bit too far. Fan village in there, yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to ask you, though, is the impact of Kane Wimbledon. Uh, I mean, how, how dependent are New Zealand on Captain Kane? Yeah, very dependent. I mean, he scored 30% of the runs in the World Cup for the team. He's averaging 91 every time he bats, and he's the fifth highest run scorer in the tournament. So he is vital. And I think when he's at, whilst he's at the crease batting, the New Zealand camp and the New Zealand fans and, 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 and punters are confident in New Zealand being in the match. If he's dismissed, I just get a bit scared about what could happen next. Could there be a collapse? Could uh, someone play a rash shot? So he adds a, a lot of stability and, and calmness whilst he's at the crease. He is the key wicket for England tomorrow. If, if they can get Kane Williamson for, 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 for not too many runs, you've got to think it's, it's there for England. And they need, he needs some of his players, whether it be Martin Guptill, Ross Taylor, Tom Latham, in the middle order, Jimmy Neesham and Colin de Gramholm, really to bring their best cricket. Because I think for New Zealand to compete tomorrow, they have to be almost play the perfect match yeah. to have a chance and take the game deep. They all have to turn up with their A games from a bowling perspective, from a fielding like perspective. Like India did against Australia. Like who? India. Like England did against Australia. Yeah, they, they have to. It was a perfect they, game almost. They, they have to peak like England against Australia. If, if New Zealand can come up with a big game, if Williamson can get runs and score, say, say it's another 100 in the, in the tournament, New Zealand are right in the match. Should he, should he get a low score, again, it could be a really one-sided final. So I'm, even from a cricketing, even though I'm not neutral, I think the cricketing neutral fan, I think wanting a good final will want Williamson to do well to cap so off the tournament. From a, from a Kiwi point of view, where does he rank in the sort of the all-times list at the moment? Well, he, he'll go down because it's, it's hard to rank someone that's still halfway through their career. But he will go down... I have no doubt as our greatest ever batsman, um, probably probably trailing the, 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 the late Martin Crow at this stage, but his record at this stage of his career is far superior to Martin Crow's, and and he's he's still only quite a young quite a young man. He's not I don't even know he's 30 years old yet. So he by the time he finishes, Martin Crow never had to play uh, IPL, never had to play T20 cricket. Um, Martin Crow will go down as our as, as our greatest batsman ever but I think Kane Williamson when his career is done and dusted he will be our greatest ever batsman. You've got a real problem with your openers don't you? Guptill's had a dreadful tournament I'm just looking at Nicholson's scores for the tournament 15 not out 15 8 0 and 28 so and he, you've got he, a real problem. And he top. replaced Colin Munro who was failing at the top order mm. so our opening partnerships have been a, a major issue whereas England on the other hand have been really strong. Bearstow and Roy have been magnificent and got England off to fast starts and got the momentum going really early taking pressure off route. Then you've got such a powerful... See, where England dominate most teams is they have power in the bowling. They have explosive players like, like Archer who can come on and take wickets. And they have power in the middle order. The likes of Morgan, Stokes, Butler are power hitters. New Zealand doesn't have the power. They have, they have craftsmen. They have guys that are going to go out and, and get, find a score. They're not going to clear the boundary. They're not a big six hit and get. Apart from Colin de Gromholm, who looks like a, a blacksmith from the medieval era, he can give it a nudge. He, 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 he just sees ball with hits ball. It's very simple technique with Colin de Gromholm, the big, uh, the big Zimbabwean. New Zealand need to build scores and build innings and, and hit boundaries by the, the old style and run hard between the wickets. 
England have the power to clear the boundary. You saw Jason Roy hit three consecutive six, sixes the other Absolutely. day. Absolutely. And I think we may have Steve Smith. Didn't they love that? And, and, and Steve Smith came on and he just dismissed him. He hit him for one six. He hit him for one four. And then he hit a hundred meter six in the match. And he just took the game away. England have power. Bearstow, Roy, the middle order, Stokes, Butler, um, just have a power players. Owen Morgan. We haven't even talked about Owen Morgan. Scored. Mm. You know, had 18, 18 sixes in that yeah. match he played against, I think, Afghanistan. Afghanistan yeah. England have a massive advantage in the power game. So New Zealand need to keep it to a low-scoring match, stay in the in the game. Hopefully the, pit, the pitch is doing a bit. Hopefully the ball's swinging, and then we'll see a great final. You know, I think the key thing for England has been leaving out Moeen Ali. It would have been a big, a really, really hard call for them because he's been a very, very good performer over many, many years for them. But now that they've left Ali out, the team just seems to have a lot better balance now. You've got, you got the Fastman in there, you've got Wood, you've got Wokes, you've got Archer, you've got Adil Rashid who's finally come good with the ball. And that was a big, big decision for them to make. But I think leaving Moeen Ali out, who wasn't in his best form, has really taken them to another level. They've got good four bowlers. They've got Ben Stokes to bowl as well too. It's, it's, it's a very, very well-balanced side now. What will be interesting though is I was at Lords two weeks ago in the New Zealand-Australia match and, and Australia really struggled. They were, I think they were 80 for 5. New Zealand had, had them and then let them off the hook. The pitch turned and so Kane Williamson bowled 5 overs for New Zealand. You've got Mitchell Santner that can bowl. Um, their, their, their medium paces could take a lot of pace off the ball and, 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 and use sort of um, cross seam. England only really, you look in their batting order, they have Adil Rashid to bowl 10 overs as a spinner. Joe Root can bowl a few overs, but there's no other spin options. Steve Smith bowled for Australia. Aaron Finch bowled for Australia. Um, Glenn Maxwell bowled off spin because the pitch was turning. If the pitch is um, underprepared and, and, or, or turning and, and, and dry, as Nick Compton said, a, 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 a low-scoring pitch, then that, it's, it's a bit of an equaliser for the teams. It should bring them tighter together. If it's a hard, fast... And, and Lords is quite a fast-scoring ground with the yeah, slope there. Definitely. But the ball comes off the bat, so the time to score the runs is with the new ball... But if, if the pitches are is going to deteriorate early, in, the, in, in, in particularly in the second innings, but towards the halfway point of the first innings, the team who's more equipped to deal with that and adjust during the match might be interesting. So Ali, whilst he hasn't played much, you just might think England might think about playing a second spinner. Wait and see. Uh, we're talking about Kane, Wimble, Kane Williamson there. Uh, he's already uh, secured his place in uh, the record books, not just for New Zealand cricket, but for cricket around the world and of course franchise cricket. Will he go down as one of the greatest of all time? I'd say he's pretty quiet and reserved bloke. It's hard to get things out of Kane. He could score 345 not out and he turned around and he'd say yeah but I was doing it for the team. You might like to say Kane you're outstanding today. Please tell me you were, you were pleased about the way that went. Through it all he's, he's got this mental steeliness that his face belies. I think behind that, under that beard, there is a, a pretty tough jaw. Once every four years do you get the opportunity to play in a World Cup, let alone to get to the, the final stages. So um, I suppose from uh, our team's perspective, it, it kind of starts now or starts again. It's been very challenging as a, an individual and as a team. Uh, for us, we want to look at our own performances as a group and yes we would have liked to have been better it is the way it is and guys need to think on their feet chasing on on those surfaces that we're wearing were, were very difficult but um, all in all we were outplayed by the opposition in those last couple we do want to be better as a group um, and smart but not get too carried away with perhaps the last two or three performances
If you listen to Kane Williamson talk, it's about the team. And everyone else in the team follows suit. I think what's important as a leader is, is trying to connect with the, the group that you have and trying to move in a, in a common direction. And I think if you can do that and you get buy-in from the people around you, then you, know, you can achieve some pretty cool things. You know, ultimately, it's certainly not about me or, or you or anybody else. It's just about what you can do for your side. He's been head and shoulders the best player by New Zealand in this tournament. One player has scored a third of the runs, basically. It says a lot about the other guys, but it also says a lot about Kane because, again, he accepts that responsibility. In the run chase situation against South Africa, hugely important game for New Zealand. I kind of think you saw his personality the best there. If he's at the crease, most situations are under control. He's so organised, it's ridiculous. Like most great players, he just has, seems to have that element of time. Just that one more beat. Small in stature, slender man, absolute giant of a cricketer, giant of a New Zealander. When he's done and dusted, he will be undoubtedly the best ever player New Zealand has had. We're here in the semis and it's two games away. Every team uh, that's left, without a doubt, believes that they can win the World Cup. You know, it comes down to the last couple of games and, and anything goes. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Kickers Sports Bar, where the game is always on. So the Romanian Simona Halep has taken the first set in the women's final over at Wimbledon, winning 6-2 in what has been a very one-sided affair thus far. She's chasing her first Wimbledon title and her second Grand Slam title. Uh, Serena Williams, by all accounts, just looking at some of the pictures down here, uh, kickers, uh, certainly not in the, might, uh, the right uh, fr frame of mind at the moment. A lot of uh, talking to herself. The old Serena, come on, has been heard a couple of times out there on centre court as well. She's going to have to fight hard now. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. And we spoke about this before the show started. If you can frustrate Serena and she starts asking herself questions, that's when you can get on top of her. And I think that's exactly what Simona Halep did broker early. Serena's obviously asking questions now. Things not quite going away and as we said from the start, things really have to go away and I feel Simone, if she wants to kick on and win this game now, she needs to break Serena early in the second set and stay on top of things. But, you know, Serena's a true champion. She wants to get this 24th title so I'm still giving her a chance in this encounter. We'll keep an eye on that one. We'll keep an eye uh, on all the other sport for you. Qualifying on going down at Silverstone. Any movers and shakers down there? Yeah, what I can tell you is we're in session two of final qualifying and it's the Ferrari Ferrari of Charles Leclerc that is quickest at the moment. He's leading the two Mercedes-Benz of Terry Burtis and Lewis Hamilton. Then we've got the Red Bulls of Max Verstappen and Paul Gasly. And then, of course, we've got Daniel Ricciardo, the Australian, in the Renault. He's currently in sixth position. Thank you for that. Mark Archer, cricket tomorrow. 1.30 UAE time. Find somewhere to watch the match. England hosts and favourites taking on New Zealand, the World Cup final at Lords. One of the factors which will be really important tomorrow is which team fields better. We've seen some wonderful fielding by both teams in this tournament. Ben Stokes catch early in the tournament when it was seemingly going for six. He caught it behind him. Uh, we saw uh, Martin Guptill, who has failed with the bat to date, but took an amazing catch at Laws since Steve Smith two weeks ago. A, a full-blooded hook shot, basically a short, fine leg, stuck out of hand. And in the last match, we saw Martin Guptill with a wonderful run-out we talked about earlier of MS Doney. Another fine piece of fielding was uh, Jimmy Neesham taking a catch, a decisive catch, 
at point in the match against India during the week. Let's have, have a quick listen to the highlights of Nisham's catch. Oh, he caught it! He caught it! That's off the chart! My goodness me, we've seen a catch there. And given the moment, it's one of the great catches. Absolutely, you've seen some of, some brilliant ones in this competition. That was Jimmy Neesham uh, taking that catch against India in the semi-final. Uh, the New Zealand coach has had a bit to say before the match. He's a pretty understated guy. He's a guy I grew up playing a lot of cricket with, uh, Gary Stead. Came from a very famous cricketing family. The Steads, his old man, was a, a sledger from way back. He was playing club cricket. <laughs> it, was, it was the team he used to play. They're called Rickerton, based in suburban Christchurch. And you had Gary's uh, <laughs> old man. You had his brother Wayne. And you had three of them sledging you in, the, in, in, in first grade. It was, it was a tough old time to play Rickerton in those days. But Gary Stead's done a good job taking over from... Um, uh, Michael uh, he, uh, Hessen in recent years who was very successful as New Zealand coach. Gary Stead had this to say about the World Cup final. I think um, in, the, in the way we've played and we're, we're really aware that we don't have to play the perfect game but what we do have to do is we need to be able to adapt to the conditions that's in front of us and sometimes working out that 240 is a good score is, is a, I think, a strength of especially the guys in, in our middle order there, like your Canes and Ross and Tom Latham, who have a lot of experience and um, a lot of talk before this World Cup around 350 sort of scores. Will, we haven't been in any of them, um, and, and, and I think that's one thing that we've actually adapted to really well. So I, I hope, I hope uh, we just keep putting our best foot forward for the final that's, that's coming up. But it, when you strip it all back, it's just another game of cricket. And, and, and that's what, I guess, how we're trying to treat it as well. Uh, Martin played beautifully in the nets today and just just trying to get that freedom into him and, and playing that way. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, there's no promises in, in cricket. There's you, you can change the order and then he could the other guy come in and could go and get a first baller as well. That, that's just the way our game works. But, look, I, I'm still confident that, that Martin has a lot of... Uh, I guess big match experience under his belt. He, he scored a lot of hundreds and very big hundreds for New Zealand, and he's done it in England in the past as well. So, hopefully, uh, he can show what, what's on offer on, on Saturday, on Sunday for him. Cannot wait. Looking forward to it. As Mark Archer was saying, there, one thirty local time here in the UAE. Not a great weather forecast for London tomorrow, but hopefully we can get the game done and dusted. They won't have to come back for that reserve day. We spoke to Nick Compton a little earlier on in proceedings. Interesting to listen to him and his comments on Chris Wokes, the sort of the, 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 the man that's gone under the radar for England for a long time, but bears that great burden of responsibility backing up the ball. Well, you've got such a good bowling lineup now. I mean, it's a really... Joffre Archer's come in, of course, and performed extremely well. But Chris Wokes is a great cricketer. Great batsman. Really, really good lower-order batsman. And he's just someone who's going to go out there and give you 100%. You know that he's going to give you absolutely 100%. You've got Wood, who's very fast. You've got Wokes, who's fast and accurate. You've got Archer, who's got a bag of tricks there as well. You've got Stokes to bowl. It's a really good lineup, you know? It, was it earlier in this tournament that they, they uh, elevated Wokes? He came in and did he open earlier this tournament. He certainly batted up the order, didn't he? I can't remember which game it was, but there was no, one but game... He, but he's a, but he's a, he's a top-class batsman. He's scored first-class hundreds for Warwickshire. He's a guy that can um, bat up the order if required, but um, fine, fine player. He, he's the sort of guy that, if you're in trouble and Wokes comes in, he's the sort of guy that will, will hang in there and, and get yourself back in, back in the game. But he, he'll be batting at... Um, seven or eight tomorrow and he comes after the power when you've got power players it's always good to blend them with a guy that can play quite traditional and orthodox he's quite an orthodox cricketer so but when you've got the likes of Butler and Stokes and, and Owen Morgan 
He's that nice sort of solidifying influence that can, that can hold the middle order together, nudge it round and just give the strike to the power players. They can continue playing their game. So he's a fine batsman in his own right, but he's, he does a great job with the, new, with the with first change bowler for England. He'll come on, bowls very straight, he hits the seam, he just does enough with it and he gets a little bit of bounce off a of length as we saw with David Warner the other day and he nips out wickets. He's not, what he tends to do is you come in as a, as a top order batsman, you'll face Archer and Wood and you're, you're in a bit trepidation trying to survive and you think, okay, Wokes comes on, breathe a sigh of relief, relax a little bit and he just doesn't give you anything and he, and he ends up nicking you out. So he's, he's, he's a perfect foil for their, for their pacemen and he's, a, and he's a fine fielder as well. So he's, they say he's the perfect team man, the nicest guy in cricket, that's Chris Wokes. And when you've got a trio of bowlers all bowling well together, uh, Wood has been a bowler who's been up and down for England. He does, often he's, he's a little bit off kilter, but when, you know, when Arch is doing so well, when Wokes is doing so well, it gives Wood confidence to really go for it, to take a risk, to go for it. And I guess the greatest achievement for England is they won that semi-final against Australia. Ben Stokes didn't do anything in the entire game. They didn't have to call on him. He didn't have to bat. And he didn't bowl particularly well, and they still won the game very comfortably. So That's it's, it's good news for England. I think Pudsey needs to mention as well. I mean, we talk a lot about the, the, the England bowlers that perform, but I think that role that um, Liam Plunkett performs Absolutely, for England... Absolutely, 100%. Is yeah, that I left him out of it there. You, can, you, you, you know, you, you're always going to get your 10 overs out of him. He very rarely goes for more than 50 or so. And it's just, we, you know what you're going to get with Liam Plunkett. He hits the, takes the pace off the ball. Uh, he's, he's a wily old uh, character, but he gets all his overs quickly as well. So you yeah. can pretty much guarantee... That that middle period, when games can get away from you, he just puts the, the brakes on. And I guess this is the choice they had. They had Plunkett or Moen Alley. They've gone for Plunkett, and he's really produced for them, and I agree. So you've got, you know, five really good medium paces there, plus you've got Adder or Shield to bowl. It's a very, very well-balanced team. It's a good lineup, and you can understand they were confident going they into the World Cup. They seem to have lots of options. We said going into the event, England has a team that can play slightly different ways and, and play the extra spinner, play the extra batsman. You know, you've got two wicket keepers that you could you could rotate around. Jason Roy was in and out of the team. So they've, they've got sort of a very in-depth squad that seem to be the most prepared for all types of conditions, and they've done that. But, again, Chris Wokes in the middle order holds them together. This is what Chris Wokes had to say yesterday about the final Lords tomorrow. Chris Wokes is having a great day on his home ground. It's hard to put into to words, really. What a moment that is. Really excited and obviously really proud about the the opportunity to play here in the semi-final. What a wonderful catch for Brooks. I was probably about 11 or 12, just came to watch a one-day Warwickshire game with my old man. It just had a special feel to it, and from that moment on, I always wanted to play out there first for Warwickshire. I didn't even think about dreaming about playing for England. Brilliant, brilliant. Chris Wolt. First time I've played here, probably 15, 16 years of age, walking out of Edgebaston was... You know, that in itself was a dream come true to play on you know, the hallowed turf. The fact that it will be potentially walking out on Thursday in the semi-final is pretty special. That is well deserved. Brilliant from Wokes, brilliant from England. To beat India here with pressure on us, it's good for us as a team moving forward and realise that we're still in this competition. You know, By no means are we out of it. And um, yeah, that was a big day and a big turning point in our, in our tournament. He flips it away on the leg side. Wokes flinging himself away to his left. Grateful that the ball went into my hands safely. In terms of the game and where it was at, he could have took it away from us. So, um, yeah, it was a big, big wicket. I felt in the game and thankfully I was switched on and, and managed to run around and, and get hold of it. We couldn't take New Zealand lightly. They're a strong side. We've had some good competition with them over the last few years, so we know they were going to be a tough side to beat. We knew we had to turn up and do a professional job, but we knew that we had to be on our A game to beat them, and we certainly did that. It's given them out. 
and England have made the perfect start. We were one defeat away from finishing the tournament. The fact that we've come through two extremely tough games and high pressure games where you have to win, hopefully can stand us in good stead you know, moving forward for the rest of this tournament. Since four years ago, it's been a team effort. We've had a squad of 17, 18, 19, even 20 players that have played across that period consistently and took England's one day cricket from being quite passive and almost scared to express ourselves to that new level and got to number one in the world. We've got an opportunity now, hopefully, to get ourselves into a World Cup final. I obviously dreamt about getting to a World Cup final, um, haven't actually thought about lifting it. We're obviously a long way away from that. If we lose here, then that all, all disappears. So um, I think we have to look at the process and look at what's ahead of us, and that's a good Australian side. We have to turn up here and put in a strong performance, hopefully get the win, and then maybe start thinking about what's ahead. You're listening to The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye 103.8 app. Uh, final 10 minutes of the show. Plenty more still to look forward to, courtesy of the team. Uh, we're broadcasting live from Kickers. We will be on my former holidays uh, as of tonight, but the team uh, will be down here throughout the course of the summer, so make sure you do come and join us between the hours of 3 and 6 live from Kickers. Uh, 16 screens down here, wonderful food, great uh, deals to be had on food and beverage as well throughout the course of the summer and further afield. Let's get round the grounds if we can. Uh, let's go down to Wimbledon. So we know that Simone Halep has won the first set by six games to two. It's going with serve in the second, 2-1 at the moment in that. Yeah, actually two all at the moment, Tom, as oh. you say. Yeah, two all at the moment going with serve and uh, Simone Halep off to a fantastic start at SW19. In the women's final, of course, Serena Williams looking to equal Margaret Court's record of 24 Grand Slam titles. The big question is, will this be the day that she does it? Uh, we're also keeping an eye on Silverstone, all sorts going on in the UK at the moment, into final qualifying? Yes, we are into final qualifying, Tom, and uh, big question is, will the rain stay away? The clouds are getting very, very dark, but what I can tell you is that Charles Leclerc, the little youngster in his Ferrari, he's currently leading it. He's followed by Terry Burtis in Mercedes in second position. Lewis Hamilton, of course, the home crowd favourite, he's currently third fastest. Then we've got Max Verstappen in the Red Bull in fourth and then Sebastian Vettel, another Ferrari, he's currently in fifth position. I think we've got about, I think it's about six or seven minutes left of final qualifying at Silverstone. And then we'll bring in the final results for tomorrow's start. Well, stage 8 in the Tour de France, they're on their way to Saint-Étienne at the moment, about 80 kilometres to go in this particular stage. And defending champion Garant Thomas still very much in the peloton and currently in fifth place. However, it is Italy's Giulio Ciccioni who is in the yellow jersey at the beginning of this one. And uh, we have obviously talked all things cricket throughout the course of the last three hours, with good reason as well. Mark Arch has been picking out a couple of players to keep an eye on tomorrow. Yeah, one man to watch tomorrow in the final. He's been a, he's been a welcome addition, uh, a breath of fresh air to the England setup is Joffre Archer. Fast-tracked into the English team. A man that's probably destined to play a big part of English cricket future, but also play a part in Red Bull cricket. I'd watch for him to be a starter in the Ashes as well. He still says he's still starting struggling to fit into the England team. He's still adapting. He's still finding life with his new teammates. Uh, exciting. But Joffre Archer had this to say about the uh, World Cup final tomorrow. I won't say I'm fully settled as yet. I'm still... I still feel like I'm still trying to, to, to fit in a little bit. But um, the guys have made me feel really welcome, even from the first day I got here. What, why, what, what's been key to the, the environment, creating that environment in England too? Man, just everyone's just really, really... Uh, I don't want to say cool because it's probably not the right thing to say, but um, I think everyone's 
I think they just understand how to deal with certain players. Even with the coaching staff as well, like everyone has been really, really, really um, open arms. And New Zealand in the final, you must be hugely confident. Not really. They're the dangerous team, and they showed why they're so dangerous last game. Um, I think we're playing good cricket. So as long as we do what we are supposed to do, we should come up on top. So I think the uh, chair judge or chair umpire on centre court is getting ready for an earful any minute now because Serena's not in a good place. Massive, massive views, Tom Urquhart. Uh, Simona Halep has just broken Serena Williams' serve and has gone 3-2 up in the second set. Of course, she leads the encounter by one set to love. 3-2 up in the second set. And as you say, Serena will have to dig deep now if she wants to win her 24th Grand Slam title. Fascinating day of sport. Fascinating uh, week of sport to look forward to. Fascinating summer of sport and further afield as well. That's about it from us today. I just want to say a big thank you to all the team. To you, Mr. Alex Broon, for uh, popping in. And we held on to you for three hours as well. So I really appreciate that. Nice to be here. And if I just throw in quickly some good news for Chelsea fans. Uh, Frank Lampard in his first match as Chelsea manager. Chelsea leading... 2-0 against St. Patrick's in Dublin with goals from Emerson and uh, Mason Mount. So a good start for Frank Lampard. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much indeed. If people want to stay in touch with you, Bruno, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, follow on Twitter, just Alexander Bruin on Twitter. Good on you, fella. At CVR, thank you very much indeed to you, my friend. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Roger Enjoy- tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. Roger all the way. Head says, <laughs> head says, no back, heart says, Roger. But I'll be behind Roger all the way. Have a fantastic vacation. Thank Enjoy you, your day in London tomorrow. And good luck with getting that ticket. And how uh, do people stay in touch with you on social media? Just give me a call. My number's right out there. No problem <laughs> at all. Uh, Mark Archer, a.k.a. the Kiwi Oracle, at the Kiwi Oracle, get in touch with him. Uh, Archie, um, best of luck tomorrow, fella. May the best team win. Best of luck for you too. Yeah, I, I guess um, big day for both countries. In, in some ways, if, if New Zealand can't win it, I'm kind of happy that England are going to be there because I think it's good for the sport. Um, it's been been on uh, satellite TV for a number of years, and I think participation numbers are down, so we want to see more kids playing cricket and I think being on the, on the BBC or on ITV whatever it's going to be on uh, the platform tomorrow is good for that and uh, it's a massive day so if you don't watch the cricket are you going to be watching Wimbledon or are you going to be watching no, the Formula watching 1 the I'm watching the cricket is it a three devices day do you have three devices nah. you have multiple screens just one focus for me uh, the cricket best of luck with them I do uh, hope you get a ticket to Lords. If, if anyone out there has got a spare ticket <laughs> for young Tom he would love to go to Lords and watch it England World Cup victory tomorrow right I could have asked a question to our resident South African uh, and Australian what's worse a braying Kiwi or a braying Englishman for the next four years? I'm going to go braying Kiwi without a doubt. <laughs> no, I'm going, go bra- doubt. I'm going to go braying Englishman without a doubt. <laughs> Easy answer. The Kiwis used to be quite humble, but they've become these awful fans <laughs> of late. All black fans used to be great. They used to sit there and say, oh, great rugby. We won. Yes, we won. Great rugby. But these days, all black fans are like, oh, dude. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely happier for England to win. Good on you, fellas. Thank you very much indeed to you, to Benj and all the team uh, here on the ground. And, of course, laying back in the studio as well. Thank you very much indeed to all of you. Uh, what shall we play out with? Well, uh, it's been a fascinating Cricket World Cup with all sorts of subplots and stories. One of them uh, being the big man himself bowing out from World Cup cricket. He, I'm sure, will pop up for franchise cricket around the world. Who knows? His days with the West Indies possibly not finished as yet. He has left an indelible mark on the game of cricket. Call him what you like. Universe boss, Gale Force, or just Chris. How do you describe Chris Gale for me? How do you describe Chris Gale? I like how you say that because you know you have Chris Gale, you have the Universe Boss, you have Gale Force, but Chris Gale is more calm, relaxed. 
And, you know, it's just keep things very simple. Um, to be honest with you, that's what Chris Gale is about. You cannot dispute Chris's value as a player to this team or for West Indies cricket. Am I looking good? He's been a character, but beyond that, he's been a super player, serious player for the world. Uh, Chris, as you look back at your career, like where do you see yourself among the pantheon of West Indies breaks? Where do you see? <laughs> I'm definitely up there. <laughs> it's my last World Cup. The, the thing I'm actually grateful for is actually to be here, to actually play playing five World Cups. Um, that's something fantastic. I think that's a great achievement. Um, from a personal point of view, as much I'd love to, to win a World Cup, but no, it didn't happen. At age 39, you know, obviously this, this is his last World Cup. I still think he has some cricket left in him. You know, once he continues to stay fit and focus, I, I still think he has some cricket left in him. I have to thank the fans as well, you know, because they kind of actually keep me going, especially on the field. As soon as a ball comes to Chris Gale and I feel it, um, the crowd go viral. Oh, he's a funny guy, there's no doubt about that. But I don't know that he often lets on in general public situations how focused he can be. Do you want me to speak on the camera? Well, you're on camera already. <laughs> and as a leader, whether an official leader or as a leading player in a team, how demanding he can be. Krish, uh, after this World Cup, what are your plans going forward? Uh, my plans after the World Cup? <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe play a test match against India. Uh, and then I'll play, definitely play the ODIs against India. I won't play the T20s. That's my plan after the World Cup. You know, I was actually thinking about it. You know, from from a long time as well, and then you know the captain, just a few. Well, when I made the statement in the press conference, you know, he said, "Chris, if you're serious, that would be the, one of the biggest things to actually have you still in this dressing room to carry on." And that kind of gave me a bit of goosebumps as well to actually hear that from the captain. And I say, "Why not?" You know, so I'll carry on, see how long as possible I can carry on. But at the same time, you know, the youngsters, you know, they definitely need help. And I'm definitely willing to do that as well, you know, but at the same time, from a personal point of view as well, you know, I think I still have a lot to offer in the West Indies cricket and, you know, I'm still batting well, you know, maybe a bit slow in the field, but hey, somebody have to move slow, eh? <laughs> There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.